Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen. Amen. Church, you can remain standing with us as we read together out of Galatians chapter 6 this morning and hear what God's Word has to say to us. Hello, I'm Jasmine Bennett, and I serve with Way Kids and the Family Advocacy Ministry, and today I'm going to be reading from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow the standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, we ask that you lead us in this time of worship. And Lord, as we look to your word, we just want our aim and affections to be here towards you. Lord, let everything we do, everything we say, our heart posture be pleasing in your sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we're continuing this last week in our series by faith. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, People Pleasers. People Pleasers. And let's see, let's gauge the room a little bit. Any people pleasers in the room? Anyone? All right. Yeah, that's me too. And I think it can be a good thing until it's a bad thing. Right? And man, pleasing people can get tiring and burdening and stressful. Like, there's a good thing because there's an awareness of people, but there's a difficulty to when it starts being draining, and that's what we get wrapped up in. And I can drift towards that. And so, I think that's pretty familiar ground. A lot of us are people pleasers. How about the ones that want to be pleased by people? Any of those are in here? No, I'm just, see. I just want to see who the honest people are in the room. Yeah, we all got some of that too, right? It's interesting when you talk about pleasing people. In church, you think, and when we gather as a church, that'd be a safe place. But I can tell you, anyone who gets up here to read Scripture, they're a nervous wreck. You know why? Because y'all. Y'all make them nervous. Right? Every week, I'm still nervous getting up in front of y'all, which is crazy, isn't it? Think about it. Because you guys are all right peoples. I'm just saying. No, you guys are good people. But if any safe place, anyone that usually prays up here, reads Scripture up here, uh, our worship team, if you ask them, they'll say they're nervous. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because everything that we do, especially in the corporate worship gathering, I'm going to expand it during this time together, is to bring glory to God. Everything we do is to worship God, whether it's reading Scripture, thank you, Jasmine, it's praying, singing, all these things we do for God's glory. That's interesting how wrapped up we can get in pleasing people. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Just context of this letter again. This letter was written to a local church in 
Galatia by the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's confronting this group of people called the Judaizers. And the name Judaizer comes from the Greek verb meaning to live according to Jewish customs. And what they were doing, they were elevating and emphasizing one particular aspect of the law, specifically circumcision, requiring circumcision for salvation, which is a doctrine, what we call faith plus, right? Faith plus, and you fill in the blank. They just happen to fill in that blank with circumcision. And point, Paul's point throughout this is this faith plus doctrine is not only damaging, but it's eternally dangerous. Essentially, and we go through this a lot, Jesus' last word on the cross, one of them was tetelestai, meaning it is finished. And what they're saying is like, we hear you say tetelestai, but it really didn't truly satisfy. That's what they're saying. It wasn't quite enough. This faith plus, meaning Jesus' blood isn't quite enough. And so Paul's confronting both their misleading message and messed up motives. And that's why I want to look at three messed up motives that they have that he's confronting in this letter. And it's one core point that drives all of these messed up motives is that they were people pleasers. So being a people pleaser, you'll see these three messed up motives that I want to highlight coming from Scripture that we see this morning. So again, messed up motive number one. They were aiming for the approval from others. That's what we see in verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh. Anytime you see flesh in Scripture, that's not going to be a good thing. That's under our own strength or what comes from our own strength, which is really damaging. It's interesting. In John 12, you see this group of people. It talks about that they believed in Jesus. Even some were rulers. But because of the Pharisees, again, the religious leaders of the day, they did not confess Jesus. So they would not be banned from the synagogue. And this says this, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Have you ever been there? Valued human praise more than what's praiseworthy from the Lord? Yeah, man, we've all been there. I think about all my school years, right? What I wore, how I talked, what I did, who I hung out with, was all for the praise of others around me. I mean, I went through some crazy fads. I was a wannabe gangster in Southern California at one point. Yeah, true story. And then not less than a few years later, I was some kind of wannabe cowboy in Northern California. This is like, because this is what I'm trying to be. And I would convince myself I actually like these things, but I like these things because of the crowd I wanted to be in. Right? And it just got crazy from there. And those are some innocent things. Like, we get some really weird things. We do some weird things for the acceptance and approval of others. And it's dangerous. And I go back to that point, and what I was looking at, I was, I was looking in instead of looking up. I had an identity crisis. And this is what drives a lot of our people-pleasing attitudes in a very negative way is that we have an identity crisis. And so I think we've all been there. The better question, are you still there? And that would be the issue. If you still have this identity crisis and searching for the pleasing of others versus what's pleasing to the Lord. Paul here, in other words, saying, pleasing people should not be our primary pursuit. God's approval is the aim of all of our efforts. And Jesus gives a caution that we see in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You see the motive? Righteous acts aren't bad. It's the motive behind them. Why are you doing? 
what you're doing. And he gives a couple examples. He says, so whenever you give to the poor, in other words, don't bring attention to yourself, don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. The motives, they gave to be seen. Oh, you're so generous, you're so righteous to be applauded by people. And he says this, and go on this real quick. This is interesting. I've been through various churches in my life, and when it comes to giving within a church context, I've seen it done so many different ways how we are to give. And just to be clear, God demands our gifts. Just to be clear, it's a discipline that God expects for us to be good managers always giving you, including your finances. But me saying that you shall do that shouldn't be your heart posture. Our heart, obedience comes from our love for the Lord. Does that make sense? But it's interesting, some of my church background and even other traditions, how they handle the offering. Right? When you give money, giving back, which is funny because it's God's anyway. We're just giving, you know, anyway. That's a whole other road. I'm not going to go there. But I've seen it done in different ways. Sometimes he pass plates, even pass buckets. That's a lot of money if I have buckets. Sometimes there's a thing up front to where they, they do a line and come down to put their offering in front of people and then go back and sit down. It's interesting to me. And so as we come to what we do here in the life of this church, we try to be intentional with everything we do, especially in the corporate gathering, go back to the Scriptures. And so the Scripture doesn't dictate you shall give in this different way, in this different methods, and if you, do it, if you don't do it like this, it's wrong necessarily. But 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which we quote every single week, does give some cautions not to give out of reluctancy or of compulsion. And that compulsion could be to be seen by others. Does that make sense? So we don't pass the plate. We trust that you give our response to the Lord, and almost we make it difficult. Like, good luck finding our giving box. Like, if you like coffee, you may stumble across it. Because that's where all the Christians hang out anyway. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. But so he gives cautions about those who give to the poor to be applauded by others. And he says, whenever you pray, this is again Matthew 6, Jesus said, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Because they love praying, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, again, to be seen by people. Do you see the heart posture? Pleasing people or to be seen by people. And this is interesting when I think about this. There's another extreme to this as well. So one extreme is I want to do these things to get recognized, to be pleased by be people pleasers and receive recognition, all these different things. There's another extreme that you're so worried about people, you don't do these things. And that ain't good either, right? Again, go back to my first opening kind of illustration there's so many people that won't read in public in a corporate gathering or won't pray, even though maybe the Lord's leading in that direction, because of fear of y'all, right? There's people that won't be baptized because of fear of peeing in front of people. And man, I go, Mark Dever says it clearly. If baptism, if you can't be obedient there, it only gets harder in following Jesus from there. So it's interesting how our people-pleasing fear of people kind of dictates what we do more so than the Bible does. And so the question we have to ask is, whose approval are your efforts aimed at? Whose approval are your efforts aimed at? And so our messed up motive number one is aiming for the approval of others, which leads to messed up motive number two that we see here, fear of persecution. Again, verse 12, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's interesting when we think about the enemy of faith. Many would say doubt. Doubt is the enemy of faith. I would say that's not true. You see, doubts will, will come 
But the longer you follow Christ, the doubts continue to go away. I've been following Christ for almost 21 years now. I used to have a lot of doubts early on, but the more I come to know Jesus and be known by Him and pursue Him, my doubts go away. The main enemy of our faith is fear. No doubt. And it's interesting, when you see the disciples, usually when we look back at the early apostles and all the disciples that were made, they were boldless, or bold, bold. And we think about these great men of faith, and rightfully so, but there was a point they were not. Do you remember that point after Jesus was crucified? They didn't know what to do. And it says in John 20, they were locked behind closed doors in a room because of fear of the Jews. It's interesting to think about. We're standing here today. Like you're hearing the gospel proclaimed in Henrico, Virginia. There's Christians in this room because these disciples didn't stay stuck in that room of fear. Do you realize that? That's the only reason you believe. But what changed? What brought them from this room of fear to be men going from fearful to fearless? What changed? The resurrected Jesus. That's what changed. When he conquered the grave, the tomb was empty. Anything's possible. And our greatest fear is death, right? If we're honest, it's one of our greatest fears. And so if we don't fear that, what are we fearful over? And if you're scared where you're going to spend eternity, well, Jesus took care of that also for anyone who believes. And so we have nothing to be fearful over. And so that's what happened. That's what changed with the apostles and all disciples is that they saw the resurrected Jesus, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The whole same Holy Spirit that rose and brought Jesus out of the grave is the Holy Spirit that dwelled inside them and everyone who would believe. Acts 4, I love this picture in Acts 4, because Peter and John were just beat and imprisoned for proclaiming the gospel. And the religious leaders bring him up, and they're going to release him. They said, listen, you stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And what was their response? Yeah, I don't like being in jail. I'm not doing that anymore, right? Beaten, beat, beaten, kind of, kind of stinks, kind of a bummer. No more proclaiming for us. It's interesting what the response was in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. They say, they speak up and says, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What are they saying? We don't care about pleasing you as much as we care about pleasing God, even to the extent if it's risking ourselves. And let's be honest, both the approval of man and the fear of man have more influence and have been more influential in our lives than we like to admit. I mean, it's true for me. I just wonder if I can just totally alleviate the fear of man and the seeking of people's approval what my faith might look like. What about you? It's interesting when we go back to Jesus' promise. What did Jesus promise all who would follow him? A life of ease, of comfort? I think where we go wrong sometimes when we proclaim the gospel. Just accept Jesus into your heart and things will be good. Is that true? John 15, Jesus says, Remember the word I spoke to you. If they persecuted me, which... 
they did, they will persecute you. That's a guarantee. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And that's interesting. Persecuted because of righteousness. There's some Christians who are experiencing persecution, not because they look like Jesus, because they're more of a jerk, let's be honest. Right? That's not what we're talking about. Some people are mistreated and persecuted just because you're not a nice person. But the more you look like Jesus, it will bring persecution. It will bring being outcast. It will bring social movements against you. It just does. And it's not a first century thing. It's a right now thing. It's interesting, even in our context, we don't experience persecution. There's maybe certain levels, but it's going on all around the world right now. Heavy, heavy persecution. Why? Because of Jesus. You know what's interesting? So on top of that, where you see the most gospel movements, meaning the gospel is being proclaimed, people are coming to faith, being baptized, and going and repeating, it's in the heavily persecuted areas. There's something about comfort that makes us comfortable. Isn't that weird? It took me a long time to figure that out. It makes us comfortable. It brings com- complacent. And it's interesting when we think about this, that we cling to this life as hard as we can, but to follow Christ is to give up everything we have in this life. That's why I really come hard. On new believers, I will come very hard on this. Because if you're really, the Spirit's working on you, come to faith, you will give up everything. If you're not willing to give up everything, I doubt the Spirit's working in your life. Because that's what Jesus says. If you want to follow me in Luke 9, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And he says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? And this is what made Paul so impossible. Because he experienced Jesus. He wasn't some kind of super Christian. He was just a Christian. Like we elevate these Christians, and man, rightfully so. They did some, God did some amazing things through these men and women, but they were just Christians who faithfully followed Jesus. That's what that looks like. Read the book of Acts. That's what it looks like. I go back, you want to turn this community upside down, start following Jesus. Early in, before this church was officially planted, before we had our first worship gathering, I was be asked this question in little gatherings and interest meetings about this church. Josh, how big of a church do you want? I hated the question every time. Like I get to dictate how big of a church I have. So my, my response would be however big the Lord would have it, right? Our aim is to keep sending people out for the sake of mission and ministry, continue to plant churches, and if God continues to bring people and we keep kicking people out, then praise God, Right? But it's his church. But man, I'm telling you, if we go to this community to live in a way that's devoted and just sold out, right? Sold out for the sake of Christ, it will influence your workplace, your places of recreation, your school life. People will want what you have. And there will be other people who will hate you. That's it. Right now, there are people that God's working in to bring them to the faith, but he's waiting on you to proclaim the gospel. That's how people come to faith. Faith comes from what is heard. And what's heard the message about Christ. But we're fearful. And so we look at Apostle Paul. He was just impossible to deal with. 
They say, listen, you stop proclaiming the gospel. What does he say? For me to live is Christ. All right? If you don't stop, we're going to kill you. Listen, to die is gain. Right? Impossible. What if we had that same kind of impossible attitude? Like everything I have, everything I am is Christ. You think of something that's most important in your life, and usually it's probably family. Usually it's probably your kids. Can you trust Christ with them? No matter what happens. What you care for most is where your faith is placed. And that's what causes fear. And so we look at Paul. What did faithfully following Jesus earn the Apostle Paul? Health? Wealth? Happiness? Verse 17, he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This guy was repeatedly beaten, shipwrecked, almost beat to the point where he is killed at one time. That's what you get. That's what he got for faithfully following Jesus. But what he would say, worth it. Worth it. Because how many people's eternity was impacted because of his short life? Still, today. One of the greatest testimonies of any man, going from persecutor to great apostle. Only Jesus. I was on a a mission trip one time, and we were in a far remote area reaching an unreached people or attempting to engage an unreached people with the gospel in a hostile area to the gospel. And we're with a couple others from a different church with our missionary, and we're driving, and one of these people from the other church says, you know what? The safest place to be is right in the center of God's will. Doesn't that sound nice? You know that's completely not true. Not at all. The best, best place. Absolutely not the safest. But Jesus is worth it. So we see Jesus is worth it. And so messed up motive number two, we see the fear of persecution leads us to messed up motive number three. Pursuing a platform. And we see that in verse 13. It says, for even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Isn't that interesting? What I've done. Look at all I've done. You know, all these people that I've led to do this thing or I've influenced and pursuing this status, pursuing this platform, their aim was to please people or to bring fame to their name. So my question for you is, whose name is your aim to fame? In Acts 11, there's this interesting phrase that says, some men. Some men. I wonder, I'm going to expand on this for a second, but I wonder if we're okay with being just the some men or some women that have no notoriety, but God's used in amazing ways. Like, I love this, that these some men in Acts 11 don't even get recognition. There's some dudes just being faithful. It says in verse 20, but there were some men from Cyrus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So what God did through these some men who have no idea who they are, these some men led to starting one of the greatest churches that was ever known, Church of Antioch. A generous church, a sending missionary church, a church planting church, and it started with some men. Just faithful men doing what followers of Jesus do, sharing the gospel, discipling. A church was established. Just there's some men. 
And I wonder if we're okay with being nameless Christians so that God's name is glorified. And what we know throughout Scripture is that every Christian, everyone, in, everyone that follows Jesus is called to serve. You've been gifted to use your gifts. And to not use your gifts is a bad steward of what God's given you. And so we talk about this in our Connecting Point class. It's how God's wired us to serve. So all of us are called to serve, but many of us are even called to lead. But I'm convinced the best leaders are the ones already serving and leading without a label. Now I'm telling you, that's, I've just been convinced. Those who will clean the toilet for the sake for God's glory, I'm just convinced they could be great leaders. If you can't do that without being recognized, then you shouldn't be leading. And as we see, all followers of Jesus are called to do good works. And that's Ephesians 1.10. It simply says, we are His workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared ahead of time for us to do. But my, goal, my question for us to consider when this pursuing a platform is whose glory is the goal of your good works? Whose glory is the goal of your good works? Colossians 3, I love this. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, just let me pause there for a second, because whatever you do, it's a lot of things, right? Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Man, years ago, this really impacted how I worked. Because for the longest time, I was very success-driven. In the fire service, I won the next promotion. I was doing pretty good. because so I know if I did these things, I could achieve this spot and be recognized in the right ways by the right people. And I saw this. And so I'd work really hard when people were around. And then maybe people were not around. Eh, you know, do a little bit maybe. But what this says, it says you work hard all the time for God's glory. As for God, everything I do is for the Lord. Not only do these things to be pleased by others, but be pleased into the Lord. And that impacts every single second of every single day of what we do, whatever you do. This is what Jesus points to in Matthew 5. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. It's good to be seen. See your good works and glorify you? Me? No. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So good works are good when they're directed to the right person. Which gives us the caution on their side of this. That good things, even good things, can be bad things when their aim is for the wrong person's fame. Go back to even the point here is circumcision. Circumcision is a good thing, right? Who's been circumcised? No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't raise your hands. It's a good thing. Unless it's for the wrong reasons. So it's a bad thing because it's faith plus circumcision. No. So it makes it a very bad thing. But you can apply that to anything. Bible reading is a good thing. Praying, fasting, worshiping, serving, disciple making, church planting, evangelism. All good things unless you're doing it for people's recognition or to earn something from God. These things are an overflow for your love for God. Anytime I have a chance to share the gospel with someone new, I say, listen, to come to faith, you have to do nothing. Nothing. Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't go to church. None of that matters. Now, from Jesus, all that stuff matters. But the motives change. 
And what he points to here is your works are worthless when performed for a platform versus aimed at the audience of one. And that one ain't you. Everything that we do should be aimed to reflect to Jesus. And this is what we see in Galatians 6, verses 14 and 15, what we just read. He says, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. And so when I start looking at this thing and these truths, I think about my own life. And really the truth of Scripture is the closer I get to Jesus, it changes everything. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize how little this world has to offer. The world and all of its allure has nothing to offer me when I've experienced Jesus. In other words, my aim isn't to please people. My aim isn't to catch up with the culture. My aim isn't to chase people's praise. My aim isn't to pursue a platform. My aim isn't searching for a spotlight or even longing for the lure of the limelight. That's not my aim. 2 Corinthians 5.9 simply says, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. That's my aim. In whatever I do, the closer I get to Jesus, the less I care about what others think. In this way, the closer I get to Jesus, I don't, I'm not trying to please other people. Now, it's a mental battle all the time, but I'm not trying to please you. Everything I do from this stage, I want to be pleasing to the Lord, which drives the preparation that comes to this time of us together. I desire to be pleasing to Him. Everything I do. So the more closer I come to Jesus, the less I care about pleasing others. Also, so this is the paradox. The closer I come to Jesus, the more I care about what others think. Right? So you got this one aspect of my aim is to please Jesus, not anyone else. But yet, the closer I get, the more I care about. And this is what we see in 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if we put that on the screen, I think we have that on there. I want to walk through this together. This is what the, the Apostle Paul gets at. The closer I get to Jesus, the, the more I do care about others, but in the, the, the right way. He says this, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He goes on, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so I may by every possible means save some. And so this is what I get. At one, at one way, the closer I get to Jesus, I don't care about what people think because my aim is to please Jesus. But the other side of that, the closer I get to Jesus, I absolutely care about people because we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representing Christ Jesus. So I absolutely care about what other people think. And so what he's saying, within biblical bounds, I try to be all things to all people. Right? Not to be a stumbling block. I think what best illustrates this is interesting. You know, in the Hall of Faith, what we call Hebrews 11, you see these great men and women of faith, but you won't see Timothy in there. Timothy. I think he may have been one of the greatest men of faith in the Bible. Why do I ask that? I'm glad you asked. 
In Acts 15, you see this dispute that happened. There's a movement among the Gentiles in Antioch. And there's some questions that were raised. And so they have this meeting with the church leaders in Jerusalem about circumcision. Is it required or not? They am saying, no, it's not required, but these things are good. So they wrote a letter, go back to the, the people at Antioch, say, no, circumcision is not required, but these things are good. And so now Paul takes Timothy, and they go on this missionary journey. And what does Paul have Timothy do? He has him circumcised. And Timothy does it. That's what I'm saying. That's a great man of faith. And Timothy, except for, for, so hear this, follow the logic here. It's not like when he comes to this next city where there's going to be some Jewish people at this, this would be buried. They're not checking this thing at the door. You know what I'm saying? Not, prove it. But man, it shows that now he can go proclaim the gospel without any stumbling blocks and truthfully say, yeah, I'm abiding by some of your traditions and customs. So did he have to do that? No. Why did he do it? To eliminate a barrier so that he might win some. I'm not saying go get drunk because everybody's getting drunk. That's not what we're talking about. We're removing barriers where we have freedoms. Because we're ambassadors for Christ. So the closer I get to Jesus, I also see, the more I realize I have little to brag about in myself. I also see I have much to brag about in Jesus. That's what he says here. Brag about the cross of Christ because of the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. This is where our bragging stands. I'm not the person I used to be prior to Jesus. Jesus has made me new and is in the process of renewing me. Am I perfect? No. But has God brought me a long way in the 20 years of following him? Absolutely. But the point is, I've been declared righteous. I've been made new at that moment of your faith. And this is the good news of the gospel. That God has created all people in his image, and yet all people have sinned and fallen short, chosen our own ways and our own methods and our own ideas over his, and completely rejected him. And to make things worse, one sin separates us, and we can't do anything about it. No matter how many good things that you do, because we all have good moments. The Bible still says we're sin at our core. Black-hearted, depraved, wretched sinners. That's what the Bible calls us. Our good works like filthy rags when trying to earn something from God. And this is the good news of the gospel because this is all bad news up until this point that God stepped in and did something for us that while we were still sinning, God proves his own love for us. That Christ Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Taking our place living the perfect life that we couldn't live, dying a death that we deserve, so that everyone who believes in him alone has eternal life. And I think we can become just almost jaded to this. Like, I want you to feel the weight of that, that while we were enemies of God, God stepped in. While we were sinners, we weren't asking for it, we didn't deserve it, yet God extended it anyway, so that everyone who comes to him by faith will be saved. 
No matter what you've been through, what you've done, your background, your baggage does not define you. Jesus does. And your response to him matters. And there's only two. Either accept what he did or reject what he did. And based on that, it's who you are. Because in Jesus, we have this new identity. And because of who Jesus is, this new identity, you have a new purpose, a new life, all these things. So that now drives everything we do. I'll take it this far, and we've had this conversation in my own house. So do we seek to please Jesus in everything we do? After seeing what he's done for us, how could you not? But in everything, even something as simple as what you wear. You ever thought about that? Like in your wardrobe, if you have a wardrobe, I wouldn't know what that's like. For those who have wardrobes, you say, Jesus, what should I wear today? Many of us don't, right? Let's just be honest. You're like, oh, no, this looks good, this looks good, or I have to wear this for work. It matters. It matters. Like, are we trying to, whatever we do, being pleasing to the Lord? It matters. I wore this shirt for a reason today, because this reason, this shirt, says exactly what Jesus did for us, just as I am, meaning in my sinfulness, in my wretchedness, in my self-centeredness, my selfishness, in my pridefulness, Jesus died for me anyway, and extended eternal life by His grace and amazing love. So He brought me to Himself just as I am, and He can do that for you. And for some of you, He has done that for you, but you need to remember it. Let the Holy Spirit reignite that faith passion inside you. Because that's the only way we'll live in a way that is careless about what people think about us. And at the same time, very careful what people think about us. For God's glory alone. So in the moment, we're going to have a, just a time of prayer. And then I'll invite the band up and we'll continue worshiping through singing. But I was thinking through Colossians 1. And it's such a great prayer. I'm going to read it. But I'm going to read it as a prayer over us today. And it's short. It comes out of Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Let me just read this as a prayer over us. Lord, fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we may walk worthy of you fully pleasing to you. I'm going to invite us just to respond to this time of prayer. And I'm asking just the Spirit to move in this time. It's a very good thing when God shows up and shows us an area that we've strayed, that we've fallen short. This is called conviction. Conviction that should rightly lead to repentance. So I'm just wondering, are there areas in our life that we've pridefully chased a platform? Maybe we just weren't aware of it until this moment. Our aim is to be self-seeking, pleasing in a way that brings praise to ourselves from others. I want this time just to be time with you to just pray to the Lord and deal with those things that He's bringing to you because He's a loving, good Father who wants you to grow and know Him. If you're sitting here in this place still unsure about Jesus, I'm going to invite you to consider Jesus.
that he did, in fact, take your place. So that everyone who comes to him, by faith alone, has eternal life. And that life starts at the moment you believe. And so if you believe that, today is your day of salvation. Right now, I'm just going to spend some time in prayer. And after a few moments, I'll close this time. But pray right where you are and deal with what God's laying on your heart at this moment. I'll spend some time in prayer. Father, we ask that you just have your way in this room. Have your way with us. Lord, show us if there's areas in our life that we have just strayed to our own ideas, our own understanding, our own doing and well-being, our own purposes and plans that are contrary to yours. Father, forgive us for the pridefulness of relying on our own strength, our own ability. Remove any hint of pride in us and help us to humbly come before you in a full neediness of you to do the work in our lives that we need you to do. The only way that we can leave and live in a way that's pleasing to you is by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. So I just ask that you bring a humility in this place, in this church family, in our lives, in a way that's coming to you in any and all things because of desire of wanting to, of a desire of wanting more of you, a desire of seeing our neediness and our need for you to work in our lives. As we see you as creator, sustainer, author, and perfecter of our faith, sovereign over every movement, and yet, the relationship we have with you because of Jesus to know you as dad. Lord, help us run to you out of being refreshed by your amazing love for us into any and all things, our joys, our highs, our lows, our struggles. Help us run to you and just cling to you tightly. Cling to you tighter than we cling to the lures of this world. Cling to you tighter than we do to pursuing the pleasure of people. Help us to cling to you. Starting right now, bring a humility in this place, conviction in our hearts that leads to a strengthening by the power of your Holy Spirit, to a refreshing, to a restoring, to a renewing, no longer being in this, this time of condemnation, but being renewed in you, this new creation because of Christ Jesus. Help us not fall back to our own ways, but walk in the freshness and the newness of life that's in you alone. Lord, lead us in this time of worship. Let this place be a house of worship, a house of prayer. Because of our neediness for you, lead us, Father, as we respond to you. In this moment, in these moments, in this day, in this week, help us be a lifetime of responding to your work in our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for hearing our prayers, and we thank you for Jesus. We pray this 
in the name that's above every other name, that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.